Amen. So good to be here together this morning. Please take a seat. I just want to add my welcome. If it's your first time with us, so good to have you sharing with us as well. And as Andrew mentioned today, we are kicking off um, part two of our church-wide series. If you're with us at the beginning of the year, we started this series, Your Kingdom Come. And we're looking at this idea of capturing a kingdom vision for our lives and particularly looking at what it looks like to live out the values of the kingdom. We talk specifically around some values that are very important for us as a church. So this sort of gives a little bit of an insight um, as to our heartbeat as a church as God continues to lead us. And so um, in the first part of the series, we looked at these topics, if you can remember back that far, living according to God's word was one, prevailing prayer we looked at, bold and courageous faith and servant-hearted humility. And we finished the series with passionate worshippers. We had that amazing outpouring night, which Carmel mentioned, another one of those just this last week, which was powerful. Well, today we're kicking off part two by looking at the kingdom value of living generously compassionate lives. Uh, with the increasing sense of, of worry, despair, hopelessness in the world today, there's a lot of interest by researchers, psychologists into what is it that makes people happy. Um, and remarkably, as they've researched this and studied this, there's, they've found a universal trend, which is the same in every single part of the world, no matter what your cultural background is. They've surveyed hundreds of thousands of people from every part of the world, and they found the same uh, truth or the same principles in every situation. They found that in every single part of the world, those people who gave to charity were happier than those who had not. And that was even after taking into consideration people's own personal financial situation. And the correlation, they realised, was not a trivial one. Um, and the data seemed to show that giving to charity or helping others made about the same difference to happiness as having twice as much income. So the researchers have found that once we've got enough money just to cater for our basic needs, more money, more stuff beyond that does not make us happier. I think we all have sort of worked that out by now. But the key they found, according to the World um, Happiness um, Index they send out every year, research, the key to happiness is what they write, is found in acts of kindness to others, lending a hand to someone else, giving to charity, volunteering. These are the actions, they say, that lead to true happiness. And as I was reading through this, as I was preparing for the message, I couldn't help but think of something Jesus said 2,000 years ago. He said these words, he said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. I think Jesus was onto something. I think he knew what he was talking about. There is something incredibly powerful about this value of the kingdom, this kingdom value of being generous and compassionate in our outlook towards others and to our world. When you're a pastor, it's always an awkward moment when someone asks you that question, if you're chatting with them and they don't know you, when they ask you, what do you do for a living? It's a real conversation killer, I've got to tell you, when you tell them what you do for a living, um, particularly, the, you know, let a few swear words go or something beforehand, suddenly they look at you like, oh, what have I done? But recently I saw a clip of how to introduce yourself. We've had some tips on how to introduce yourself if you're a pastor. And this minister um, talked about a situation. He was in the airport and he met this lady and the lady asked him that question. So what do you do for a living? And so he thought, rather than kill this conversation, I'm going to get a little bit creative. So he said, well, I work for a global enterprise with outlets in nearly every country in the world. And the lady said, wow, that sounds interesting. Tell me more. He said, well, we've got 
hospitals, we've got hospices and homeless shelters, we've got, we do marriage work, we have orphanages, we have feeding programs, um, educational programs, we do a lot in the area of justice and reconciliation work. And this lady said, this sounds incredible, tell me, tell me more about, about this company. He said, well, basically, um, to sum it up, we look after people from birth to death and we deal in the area of behavioural alteration. That's basically what we're about as a company. And the lady said, this is, tell me, this is amazing. Tell me, what's the name of this company? The minister said, the church. I work for the church. (laughs) You know, across the ages, the church has certainly had its shortcomings and failures. There's no denying that. But without a doubt, the impact of the church across the millennia to care for the poor, for the marginalised, for the oppressed has been second to none. Nothing else has even come close to the love and compassion that's been demonstrated through the church. And the reason for this is because at the heart of the Christian faith is the call to reflect the heart of God who is full of generosity and compassion and selfless love. Maybe you're still exploring faith, you're on the journey and you just... Built up in your own mind some ideas about who God is. Well, listen to what the Bible says about what God is like, who He is. This is what it says, Psalm 145, verse 8 and 9. It says, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all He has made. This is who God is, who He has revealed Himself to us to be. But how we introduce ourselves is very significant. It says a lot about us. Um, Normally, if I'm introducing myself, I would just simply say, I'm a pastor, I'm a husband, I'm a father, even though I'm many other things beyond that, for sure. But they're the things, they're the main things that I do. And I'm sure you do the same. That's how you sort of introduce yourself around the main things that you spend your time doing. Well, realise then how significant it is when the biblical writers introduce God as this. They introduce Him as a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, we read, is how God is introduced. And this is because this is one of the main things that God does in the world. He identifies himself with the powerless and he takes up their cause. We see this again and again. It's hard to to emphasise how revolutionary this understanding was in the ancient world in which these words were spoken. Because in the ancient world, if you were poor, if you were struck down with illness, sickness or disability, then the thinking was, well, you must be cursed by God, that God must be against you in some way. And the power of the gods was identified with the elites of society, the powerful, the successful. It was channeled through them. But here, in Israel's vision of who God is, it's not the high-ranking that God is associated with or identifies with, but with the orphan, with the widow, with the stranger. And this is revolutionary. We tend to take this for granted, but of course we should care for the poor and the needy. That has not always been the way. In many, many societies, even today, it continues to be the way. But the emphasis that the Bible, that the Christian faith has had in our worldview has been huge in this space. So what does God say in the Old Testament about being generously compassionate? Well, As it turns out, he says a lot. Let me read you just a few verses and just want to allow God just to speak this morning from his word. Let me read to you some of these. Proverbs 14, verse 31. It says, Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honours God. 
Proverbs 22 verse 9. The generous will themselves be blessed for they share their food with the poor. Isaiah 58.10. And if you spend yourself in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. Proverbs 19.17. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward them for what they have done. Proverbs 21, 13. Whoever shuts their ears to the cry of the poor will also cry out and not be answered. Deuteronomy 15, verse 7. If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites, if any of the towns of the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Proverbs 14, verse 21. It is a sin to despise one's neighbour, but blessed is the one who is kind to the needy. And then Isaiah 58, verse 6 and 7. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Are you feeling challenged as you read these passages? I certainly have been as I've been looking at these verses. But this is God's heart. God God has an incredible heart of compassion and love and identifies himself with the most vulnerable and the poor and the needy. In preparing this message, I read the story of a church in Hopewell, Virginia, where a single mother lived just a couple of doors down from the church. And she started attending the services and they quickly realised that this single mum had some very significant financial challenges. And so some people in the church, some of the leaders in the church got together and decided that they wanted to give a gift to this mother to help her with some of the bills that she had um, that had been building up for her. And so they did this. They gave her this gift of money and the mother was so appreciative of this gift that had been passed on. But three months passed and it came to light that the mother... And um, when she'd received the money, rather than paying for the bills, she'd actually spent the money on, on um, taking the kids out to these restaurants and buying all new bikes for the kids and, and not paying off any of the debts um, that she owed. And so she was in, the, you know, in need of more money just three months later. And one of the, the deacons, one of the leaders in the church was furious about this. He said to the pastor, no way do we give this lady more money. This is the reason she's poor. You know, she's irresponsible. She's driven by impulses. This was God's money that we gave to her and she has wasted it. And the pastor, you know, sort of came, came back to this, this deacon with verses from the Bible like we just read around God's heart for the fatherless to defend those um, in, in need. But the deacon replied, that's in the Old Testament. That's the Old Testament there. He said, today it's the Christian's job to spread the good news about Jesus, but not to be as worried about poverty and social conditions. For us, it's about saving souls. That's the focus. Well, what did Jesus say about caring for the poor and the oppressed and those in need? Well, just like God in the Old Testament, Jesus also identifies strongly with the poor. In his incarnation, when he comes to this earth, he is born not into a palace, but he's born into a stable in this unknown back blocks um, in a poor area. He appeared to lowly shepherds, is who his birth is announced to. He lived with, ate with, associated with the socially ostracized, the lepers, the immoral, the outcasts, the people others wouldn't, wouldn't associate with. He endured injustice himself, died a criminal's death 
on a, on a cross, even though he was, he was innocent and he died with no possessions. This is how Jesus stepped into our world. Jesus too identified with the most lowly, with the poor. In Luke 4, we read this, that Jesus, when he was announcing his ministry, he said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, the recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And he said things like this, when you give a luncheon, in Luke 14, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. And Jesus went on and said more, Luke 12, he said, sell your possessions, give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out a treasure in heaven that will never fail where no thief comes near or moth destroys. Powerful words from Jesus as well. Now to be clear here, when we read the Gospels, we know that Jesus came for all people, rich and poor. We see in the Gospels that he had as part of his followers successful business people, um, he had a doctor, uh, a powerful military commander that he um, reached out to, a high-ranking government official. People of influence were definitely part of Jesus' followers. But he had a special place in his heart for the poor and the oppressed and the most vulnerable in society. He identified most strongly with them. I often explain this by the fact that the Bible doesn't have a poverty theology. In other words, God only identifies with the poor. He doesn't have a prosperity theology. He has a generosity theology. This is God's heart. One of the most famous teachings on this topic was the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10, where Jesus completely redefines what it means to love our neighbour and who our neighbour is. But the Old Testament command was to love God and to love your neighbour as yourself. And we tend to think of our neighbour as being people like us. We Instinctively, we all do this, we tend to limit who we will exert ourselves for, who we will reach out and care for and love. We don't have too much trouble loving people who are like us or people that we feel deserve our care and support in some way. But Jesus will have none of that when we read what he says in the parable, the Good Samaritan. By depicting a Samaritan helping a Jew, Jesus could not have found a more forceful way to say that anyone at all in need, regardless of race, politics, class, religion, everyone in need is your neighbour, is what Jesus was saying. He was completely redefining it. Jonathan Edwards was a minister, a famous theologian, and minister of the Congregational Church in Northampton in Massachusetts from 1729 to 1751. And he became aware of a growing sense of uh, a growing need of poverty and increasing social stratification in his town where he was ministering. And some of the reasons for these were for this was socioeconomic. By 1730, most of the town's usable land had been parcelled out, and it was difficult for newcomers or young families to get an economic foothold. Sounds very familiar, doesn't it, to today? Conflicts grew between creditors and debtors, long-term residents and newcomers, old and young. But Edwards also believed that the reason for the rising tension between the haves and the haves-nots was actually a spiritual, there was a spiritual dimension to this. And so in 1733, he preached a sermon titled, The Duty of Charity 
to the poor. And in this message, he looked at the parable of the Good Samaritan and uh, he, he looked at particularly the practical application of this passage. And what he did was he actually used this parable to answer some common objections he often had. Whenever he spoke to people around helping those who are poor and in need, there were these common objections he would get back. And so he actually addressed some of these objections through this message. And maybe you can relate to some of these objections yourself. The first objection was this, that he addressed was this one. Though they be needy, they are not destitute. Today we might say, well, yeah, they, maybe they're in need, but they've got a, you know, a big screen TV, they've got a car to get around in, so things can't be that bad for them, really. But Edwards says that this hard-heartedness is not in accord with the biblical command to love your neighbour as yourself. He says, we don't wait until we are in extremity before doing something about our condition, he argued. So why should we wait until our neighbour is literally starving before we help them? Another objection he addressed was this one. People say, I can't give to help others as I have nothing to spare, that they barely have enough for their own needs. But Edwards points out that one of the main lessons from the Good Samaritan parable is that real love entails risk and sacrifice. Edward responds that when you say, I can't help anyone, you usually mean, I can't help anyone without burdening myself or cutting into how I live my life. But Edwards argues that's exactly what biblical love requires. Another objection Edwards takes on is that the poor person is of very ill temper. He is of an ungrateful spirit and he has brought himself to his poverty by his own fault. You know, we all are okay helping kind-hearted, upright people whose poverty came upon them through no foolishness of, or contribution of their own. Um, and people who are grateful and, and, and thankful when we help them. But Edwards makes short work of these objections again of helping when that's not the case. And he appeals to the gospel itself to answer this. He says this, Christ loved us and was kind to us and was willing to... Res- to relieve us, though we were very hateful persons, of an evil disposition, not deserving any good. So we should be willing to be kind to those who are very undeserving as well. Romans 5 puts it like this. When we were utterly hopeless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, while we were still his enemies, he did this for us, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Isn't that incredible, powerful truth? It's what Carmel was testifying to this morning. I read this quote recently. It said, if you are not generous, you've never really experienced the good news of Christ's love. To be truly saved means you have some sense of how gracious God has been to you. And the Bible repeatedly says that the sign that you have tasted God's grace, that you've received 
Christ's love is that you become gracious, you become generous, you are filled with compassion for others. You can't help it because you know the love that God has shown to you. I mentioned earlier the story of the single mother living next door to the church. Well, the pastor of that church actually um, gave the deacons, the leaders, a copy of that message from Jonathan Edwards and they eventually came around um, to decide, okay, we'll keep supporting this single mum. But as time went on, it became clearer that the reason she had squandered the church's money on restaurants and new bikes was that she felt terribly guilty as a mum for the poor life that she was giving to her kids. And so when she received this money, she couldn't help but want to give an experience to her kids of the experience of all the other kids around her in the community. So she took her out to restaurants and bought them new bikes because she wanted them to feel like normal kids. And when um, the church began to understand this, when the leaders in the church began to understand this more, her behaviour not only made more sense, but their hearts were touched. They got a deeper appreciation that her actions were not simply selfish, but she did it out of love for her children. And the church kept supporting her over time, just kept loving her and supporting her and caring for her. And her life was dramatically improved and encountered the fullness of the love of Christ for her. But it wasn't just her life that was blessed. The, The people in that church were blessed. They had a deeper appreciation of the good news of, of Christ's love and the, and the grace and generosity and compassion that God had shown to them as well. It's significant, it's powerful, living generous and compassionate lives. And I want to take an opportunity this morning as we're looking at this topic just to thank you, church, for your amazing heart of generosity and your heart of compassion for our community, for people in need in our world. I'm continually humbled by the response from so many. At Christmas, we mentioned the need of the famine in East Africa and $52,000 was raised just like that to give away to bless people in need. And I was just blown away, so humbled, knowing it's not easy out there. There's plenty of challenges financially, pressures on cost of living. In that same season at Christmas, 300 volunteers packed 29 tons of food, sent out 2,900 Christmas hampers to people in need right across our community. And again, just blown away, 300 people gathering. The joy that was there as we packed those hampers, as we sent them out and delivered them was incredible. And then Easter rolled around. And there was the, the, the need of the Turkey-Syria earthquake and the appeal, and this time $64,000. Already so much been raised at Christmas. Another 64000 Again, you just gave towards and were able to send that off to help people in need in that region of the world. And over the last financial year, $280,000 has been given to our Bridge Care Ministry to help people in need. That money just goes directly to help people in need in our local community and support the amazing work that Bridge Care are doing. And, and I know there was so much more beyond that too. There's lots of stories right across the church beyond that of people um, helping and caring and loving one another. Every now and again I hear, I get a little glimpse of a story, so much more beyond that. And so I want to say thank you, church. It is so humbling to be part of a church family like that. And I want to say thank you for reflecting the heart of God, his heart of generosity and compassion. It, it's powerful as we live this out. It brings so much joy to us. As a people, it's so much more blessed to give than to receive. And right from the outside of this church, our heart has been to be a church like this, to be a generous church, to be a church full of grace and compassion, reaching out to show God's love in practical ways. And we have seen the power of that. There is something incredibly powerful about living 
kingdom lives like this, reflecting God's love for our world. But it's not easy to do it. There's a cost involved, there's a sacrifice, it can be messy, it can be complicated. Every uh, Monday night, um, our amazing streetlight team care for people in need in our local community just down in the local park, down the end of Graham Road, between 70 and 80 people come out each week and they're given a meal. But more than the meal, they experience community together and God's love in community. It's amazing ministry down there. The team have just launched the second streetlight in the city on a Thursday night. Already they have over 100 people gathering um, down there as well. There's lots of need in our community at the moment. And David and Ben and our streetlight coordinators and Jody too in Bridge Care, they'll be the first to tell you that the needs are overwhelming around us. Um, it's messy, it's tiring at times, it requires sacrifice, a lot of grace and a lot of wisdom ministering in this way. But God just keeps showing up in amazing ways. Touching hearts and lives, working miracles, because God's heart is for the poor and the needy and the vulnerable. This is God's heartbeat. And he keeps showing up in these spaces. David was telling me recently about a powerful experience he had. He dropped into our city streetlight ministry. And at the end of the night, you know, all these people, they're trying to meet needs. And David got to the end of the night and he's walking back to his car and he just found himself before God saying, God, I'm just overwhelmed. I am, this is too much, this is too big. I'm not gifted enough, I'm not skilled enough, I'm not trained enough to deal with the situations we're dealing with. This is exhausting, God. I think you've got the wrong person, basically, to lead this ministry. I, I think you've just got totally the wrong person. There's no way I can, I can do this. I'm way out of my depth here. He's having this conversation with God as he's walking back to his car and he sees in the distance there's a car parked on the side of the road with a bonnet up and there's a lady there. It's, it's clearly in, in some distress about the fact that her car's broken down. He sees this in the distance and says, God, don't ask me to help this lady too. Don't ask me to help this lady. And he's saying, God, you know I know nothing about cars. Cars is not my thing. I know zero about cars. Do not ask me to help this lady. And he's walking up the street and he's getting closer and closer. God, don't make me do this. Don't, I, I can't help in this situation. Cars, I don't know anything. And finally he gets up to this lady and sure enough, she says, please, would you help me? And David says, I don't know anything about cars. I cannot help you. So please, please, would you come and just give me a hand? And so David walks over this car and he says to her, he said, I know nothing. I know nothing about cars. He said, I stuck, he stuck his head under the bonnet. He said, I had no idea what I was looking at. He said, I just stuck my head in the bonnet and the first thing I looked down on was the car battery. He said, I looked down, I noticed that one of the terminals seemed to be off, one, one of the, um, off the battery. And so he thought, oh, I wonder what happens if I just push this back down. So he got the terminal, he pushed it back down. He said to the lady, oh, try, try turning the car over now and turned it over, started first time, first time. And the lady said to David, David, you're a genius, you're amazing. How do you know so much about cars? How do you know what you're doing here? And, and David um, walked away from this situation and he sat in his car. And when he got into his car, turned the ignition on, the radio came on. And you know the radio, on the radio, had it on 96.5. He hadn't even gone anywhere yet. The radio came on and it was an ad for a message from Charles Swindle, I think it was, for a message that he was about to do on, on Moses and the burning bush where Moses comes to God and says, God, I can't do what you called me to do. I'm not gifted enough. I don't have what it takes. I'm not, I, don't, I can't speak. You know, all the excuses before God. And so, and David knew in that moment, it was like God speaking to him. And he went home. He said, I read that passage and I spoke to my wife about it. And he knew it was God saying to him, David, it's not your ability I want. It's not your gifts I want. 
said, all I want is your availability. I just want you to be ready. He said, oh, this is my heart. I love the poor and the needy and the vulnerable. My heart breaks for the needs of our community. I don't need your gifts and abilities. I just need you to be available. And he said, you know what? I'll even take your weakest point. You know, cars, you know nothing about cars. I will take your weakness and I will use your very weakness to, re- to remind you that it's me working through you. <laughs> it's me working through you and that through your weakness, I'm going to reveal my heart, my power to those around you. And David knew in that moment, okay, God, <laughs> I'm stepping in again. I'm stepping in again to keep loving these people, to keep caring for these people. But this is God's heart, isn't it? God's heart breaks for the brokenness of the world. I want you to know this. His heart breaks when he sees the needs around us. And he longs for us to be agents of his love and grace and care in our world. He wants us to step in. He says, this is my heart and I want you as my followers to be on about this as well. You know, he said that whatever you do for the least of these, you're actually doing for me, he says. This is what he says. It's not about us knowing all the skills, having all the abilities. It's simply by us saying, God, I'm available. Here I am. Take me. Would you use me? Would you fill me so that I'm able to love? In fact, none of us, you know, can love as God's called us to love. None of us can love the sacrificial love that God's called us to. We can only do it when we have the love of God. We've experienced it personally in our own lives. Only when we have experienced it through Jesus, then are we able to love sacrificially, generously, compassionately. That's where it begins. I want to tell you that this morning. If you've never encountered the love of God through Jesus' person in your own life, that is the beginning point to a life of radical generosity and compassion that fills our heart with so much joy. So let me ask you this morning with a few questions just to reflect on as we close. Do you have a heart for those who are poor and in need? Do you have a heart for the oppressed and the vulnerable? Or have you become um, more focused on your own plans, your own dreams? It's easy for us to do this, over and above the needs of those in our world. This morning, we have an opportunity to come before God and say, God, I just want to reprioritize again. I realize I've been putting my own plans and dreams, become self-focused. I want to look again outward. We have been blessed to be a blessing. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Or maybe you're here this morning and you realise you put caring for those who need in the too hard basket. You just look around and think, the need is too great, it's too overwhelming. My little part is not going to make a difference. What's the point in me trying to help? That's not going to change anything. Well, I want you to hear God's heart this morning. God says, no, 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 this is my heart. Whatever you do for the least of these, you're doing it for me. Step in, love those that I have put around you. Your part, combined, meshed in with the part of many others, has a huge impact in our world. Or perhaps you realise this morning that you haven't had a heart of grace towards those in need. Maybe you've you've let a judgmental spirit sneak in in some way, thinking, well, maybe those people don't really deserve it. Maybe they haven't, you know, they're too lazy or haven't been diligent enough or they're too impulsive. And so you've snuck in as being this bit of a judgmental spirit. Well, God wants us to come before him and, 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 and repent of that and say, no, no, no. That's not the heart that we have to others in need because of the way God has revealed his love to us. When we were his enemies, when we were far from him, he loved us when we didn't deserve it. 
Or maybe you have been giving to help those in need, but you realise today that God's heart is one of radical generosity, sacrificial love. And you've sort of been giving, but it hasn't really impacted on you personally, but you hear that actually the biblical picture of God's love, it's a sacrificial love where it takes us out of our comfort zone, where it actually impacts the way we live as we sacrificially give away, help those in need out of our comfort zone. Maybe that's the call for you this morning. But wherever we are on the journey, we can come to God and say, God, here I am. I don't have all the answers. I don't have it all worked out, but I'm just available. Would you come? Fill me with your spirit. Enable me to love as you have called me to love, beginning with the most vulnerable, the poor, the needy in our world. I thought it'd be right as we finish this service today just to pray for some of our team that are, that are helping us on the front lines of church, our bridge care ministry, our streetlight ministries. I'm going to ask Pastor Jody, who oversees our bridge care, just to come up and a couple of pastors will come and lay hands. And Dave Dixon, if you just come up as well. Dave's here this morning for our streetlight team. If you guys just come up on the stage. But while they're coming, if you serve in any of our bridge care or streetlight ministries in any way, would you just stand where you are this morning as well? Because we want to pray for you and commission you. Just stand where you are. If you're part of any of our bridge care ministries, streetlight ministries, just jump on your feet for a moment, helping in any of these ways. Lots of you across the church. Just jump on your feet. That's good. And can we just encourage these ones who are helping and serving in this way? Stay standing. Don't sit down. What I'd love to do is get some people just to gather around these ones because we're going to pray for them. This isn't, by the way, just delegating this out to these people. We're all part of this together in our different spheres, but they are helping us as a church to love in our community, in our world. So something just to gather around them. So we're going to pray for them just to lay hands on them and we're going to lay hands on Jody and David as well. I was really struck actually, was reading the Bridge Care Limited report um, recently, just earlier this year. And the Lord Mayor's Prayer Breakfast, Jody mentioned how the Lord Mayor said that the needs we are facing in our city at the moment are the greatest we've ever seen in our lifetime. And it's true. And David can testify to that. Jody can speak to that. There's great needs. There's lots of challenges out there. And there's a big season coming ahead for us. But God has prepared us and helped us as a church. But the call God is giving to us as his people is to keep reaching out, to keep being sacrificially generous, to love people in Jesus' name. And as we do, it's powerful, not only just for the people we're ministering to, but others watching on, they see that and they go, this is real. This is real. This is the love of God being demonstrated in practical ways. So why don't we pray now together? Let's pray and ask God just to pour his spirit and help. Lord, we want to thank you. For your incredible heart of generosity and compassion, where would we be but for your grace, Lord? But we thank you, this is who you are, Creator God. That your heart breaks for the injustices in our world, the needs, Lord. And so we come before you, Holy One, and we ask, would you help us to love as you have loved us? Would you help us to pour our lives out, Lord God? to reflect your heart of love and care in this community, in our world. We want to pray particularly for these ones here this morning. Lord, for Jody, she leads bridge care, anointing of your spirit, give her wisdom and energy, insight, Lord, I pray. For David as he leads our streetlight team in moments where he just feels overwhelmed and beyond him, Lord, thanks for that powerful reminder you gave him that you are with him, great God, that you have called him. And for Ben too, we pray and all the amazing streetlight team. For our bridge care volunteers, Lord, bless them as they go into homes and love you and care for people and pour out your love. This is your heartbeat, great God. And we know we're going to see more and more miracles of your power, healing work in people's lives, your love being poured out 
as we reflect your love. And so we're asking, Lord, for all of us here this morning, in fact, we're asking, Lord, we need you, Lord. We can't love like this on our own. Fill us with your love to overflowing. Holy One, I pray. Remind us again and again of the love that you have shown to us, that your love would compel us, that we would be people of radical generosity and compassion to our community and our world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we encourage all these ones and David and Jody again this morning as well? Praise God. We're going to finish with a song of worship. Let's jump on our feet. It speaks about Jesus stepping into the world, the love that He has shown to us. He is sending us out to reveal this great love, His healing and hope to us. Let's sing together with faith this morning, church. Fulfill
thank Him, church, this morning for His grace, His love, His compassion towards us. God, we thank You. It's so good. All that You've done for us, Lord, to be part of Your family. And now, Lord, send us out, carriers of this message of hope and love to our world, we pray in Jesus' Name. Amen. Please be seated. If you'd like prayer in some way, our prayer team will be down the front or our prayer lounge, our connections lounge. Don't forget, our welcome morning tea is on. Newcomers morning tea across in the chapel and Nick Ducks as well will be in the meeting rooms. If you wanna hear about him heading over on the Logos Hope, he'd love to share with you as well. God bless. Thanks so much for being with us.